Every one of us, because of the influence that we've had as a child through our parents, through the school we went to, the movies you watched, uh, the books you've read, maybe the social media that you allow to go through your eye gate, the influencers that you tune into and listen to in the podcast all shape our worldview. For some of us, that worldview is skewed just a little bit because of the things we have allowed in our lives that are not biblically based. But all of us have a biblical, or let me say this, all of us have a worldview. But the question is, do we have, as believers, a biblical worldview? I feel strongly led, and I've felt this way for a number of months, but I never went this direction. But I feel like it's time to go this direction into the topic of a biblical worldview. And what does that mean? What does it look like? And how can it help you and me? So, with that in mind, what we're going to do is for a couple of weeks, we're just going to focus on this topic of, topic of a biblical worldview. This worldview that we have, and I mentioned just a minute ago, um, the way we look at life, the way we look at death, the way we look at marriage, is no doubt determined by the influence we've had. But what does the Bible say when it comes to life? And do we fully understand what it means to have a biblical worldview? For some, they might be thinking, I'm not sure I really understand what a biblical worldview is. Well, I'm going to break it down for you. I'm going to give you some clarity, okay? Let me illustrate this way, okay? When I was a kid, um, of course, I refer to this all the time, growing up in Alabama, because that's where I grew up. <laughs> uh, we lived just outside of Decatur. I lived in Somerville. And so I, we would go back and forth to Decatur because that's where I went to school. On that journey to Decatur, we'd always cross over the Tennessee River. And there's things that I thought I understood that were around me as a kid that I really didn't fully understand because I couldn't see it clearly. See, I come to find out that I needed glasses and I needed them badly. See, I was nearsighted but not farsighted so I could see things close up. So I finally convinced my mom that I have an issue she knew I had issues, multiple issues, but this was my issue, my eyes. <laughs> so she takes me to Pearl Vision. Ooh, right? Pearl Vision. You remember Pearl Vision? I don't even know if they're around anymore. I mean, that's big stuff right there. My dad and my mom, you know, we'll, we'll splurge a little bit for our boy. Thanks, Dad, so I can finally see. That's great. So they took me to Pearl Vision. Before we got to Pearl Vision, we crossed that bridge. It's not really a bridge. It's just a plane of water. On, uh, excuse me, there's a body of water on either side, and it, and it was this uh, stretch of land that they put a street across. So it really wasn't a bridge. It was really odd. But when I would cross over, I always noticed this sign. It was the Wheeler Wildlife Refuge Center sign. And when we would pass that sign going to school, I always would think to myself, why does the sign have a wizard on it? It made no sense to me because I know that that wild refuge center was known for their ducks and the geese and the beautiful scenery that you could see if you cross over the little bridges, the walking trails. Um, it was amazing. But I, and it was a crazy cool experience to see all these unique ducks and geese. But why the wizard? It made no sense to me. For years and years, I would think there was this wizard with a wand. And I thought, maybe because it's a magical place. Well, I went to Pearl Vision, I got my glasses, I came out of Pearl Vision, got in the car, and I started to notice that things in Decatur, Alabama looked different to me. I could read signs that I thought 
were saying something completely different. I saw things in a way I never saw before. We crossed the Tennessee River, and I'm enjoying the scenery because I'm realizing I never fully understood what was going on around me. I missed it. I missed it for years and years. Thank you, Mom and Dad. And then I saw the sign. Y'all ready? I saw the, the Wheeler uh, Wildlife Refuge Center sign, and I realized it wasn't a wizard at all. This is what the sign was. It's two geese, and they're flying. And for all of these years since I was a little boy, I thought that was a wizard. The way it, would, the, the, the way it was shaped and the way it was positioned, I just thought from a distance when I would drive by, it was a wizard. And when I saw this, it was the most profound moment of my life. I looked at my mom and said, hey, mom, there's two geese on that sign. And she's like, yes, there's been two geese on that sign since the sign's been up. But you don't understand. I thought... It was a wizard all of these years. And she said, why would it be a wizard? Because that's what I saw. That's what I could see with these eyeballs. But now I see it different because I'm wearing these glasses from Pearl Vision <laughs> because you and dad splurged a little bit so I could see and get a driver's license one day, huh? Is that cool? But the point is simply this. I saw the world differently Amen. through the lenses. When you put on the lenses of God's Word, you now have a biblical world view. Everything looks different. You'll go to a funeral as a believer in Jesus Christ with a biblical worldview, and you'll realize that this funeral is not like everybody else's funeral if it's a believer, because that individual that passed away is now in heaven. Because you have a biblical worldview, you realize that death is different. There is a heaven and there is a hell. You realize that marriage is different. It's not just a contract according to the government and you sign a paper and an agreement. It is a covenant that you made with that woman or that man because you now are one. You have a biblical worldview. The way you raise your children is distinctly different because you have a biblical worldview. You're going to train a child up in the way they should go according to the Bible. So when they're old, they'll not depart from it. That is a biblical worldview. Does everybody understand? I know it's so simplistic, but for some, this is not that easy because there's parts of it that don't always make sense. Biblical worldview is important because you look at everything different. But sometimes having biblical glasses and having a biblical worldview is not easy because God doesn't always make sense. The Word of God doesn't always make sense. And so in life, when life doesn't make sense, you're struggling a little bit to trust His Word completely. And so with that in mind, I'm going to ask you a question. Do you have a biblical worldview? Do you see the world clearly? To better answer this question, I'm going to ask you multiple questions, okay? Are you ready? And these questions from, come from George Barna, who did a survey to find out how many believers, born-again Christians, have a biblical worldview. So I'm going to ask you the same questions. Are, is everybody listening? You're going to feel like a student in a class. Do you believe that the absolute moral truth exists? Do you believe that absolute moral truth exists? Do you believe that absolute truth is defined by the Bible? 
Do you believe that absolute truth is defined by the Bible? Did Jesus Christ live a sinless life? Is God the all-powerful and all-knowing creator of the universe? And does he still rule today? Is salvation a gift from God that cannot be earned? Let me ask that one again. Is salvation a gift from God that cannot be earned? Is Satan real? Is Satan real? Does a Christian have a responsibility to share his or her faith with other people? Is the Bible accurate in all of its teachings? Now, here's the reality. Only 9% of born-again believers answered yes to those questions, which is very concerning. You know why that's concerning? Because we have a problem as believers. Something is missing. And what is missing is the confidence that we need to have in the God's Word in order to have a biblical worldview. Non-biblical worldview ideas bombard us every single day. They're all around us. Uh, we get them through television. We get them through films, music. We get them through media and social media. We get it from our friends and our family and magazines, books, academics. They're all around us. And because we live in a selfish, fallen world, is everybody with me? These ideas are seductive. They seduce us to believe that this is acceptable way to think and to live. This is the way you are to view the world around you because of these ideas. And, and sadly enough, believers over a period of time with enough influence begin to drift from God's word and they have a humanistic view of the world versus a biblical view of the world. And that is a problem. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk through some of these things. I'm going to preach on this topic today and teach you the importance of having a biblical worldview. And I want to give you two simple things in order for us to have a biblical worldview. You have to have these two things. And each one of them are found in one verse, one simple verse found in Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5. But before I get there, I'm going to pray. And I'm going to do something a little different because I don't usually do this, okay? I'm going to give you a visual explanation of worldview versus a biblical worldview and how that the world around us influences our way of thinking. Even though I explain that to a degree, I think this is going to give you a better understanding. So if you can just hold tight for about four and a half minutes, focus in on this visual illustration and explanation of worldview versus uh, biblical worldview, I think it's going to help set the groundwork for us to go into this series. Is everybody with me? So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, I pray, Lord, that you'll help us clear our minds, help us to set aside all of our opinions, our ideas, the philosophies that we have received from our maybe our teachers, professors, and even maybe our own family members, and focus on what your word says, and accept the reality of what you're revealing to us today on the topic of a biblical worldview. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hear a lot about culture these days. Everything from culture wars to cancel culture. But what exactly is culture? In the broadest sense, culture is simply the way we do things. Culture describes a group's values, customs, and behaviors, whether the group is a family, a business, an organization, a community, or an entire civilization. At the root of every culture is a deep system of belief or a form of worship. 
This isn't surprising. People are hardwired to worship. The object of our worship may be God, or it could be the self, or we might worship government, nature, or our ancestors. Another word for these deep belief systems is worldview, which is simply a way of seeing reality. A worldview is composed of often unconscious ideas or assumptions that provide answers to life's most important questions. The answer to these worldview questions provide order and meaning to our lives, whether they're true or not. But from where do our answers to these questions come from? Many of our beliefs are assumed, acquired in our earliest years. At a deeper level, our worldviews come from the ideas and philosophies of key historical figures. Their powerful philosophies are picked up by artists who convey them in songs, literature, paintings, poetry, and film. These, in turn, influence cultural gatekeepers in universities, public education, business, government, entertainment, and law. They institutionalize the worldview in curricula, policies, and laws, and we absorb it. Why does this all matter? Because worldview shapes everything we think and do, and what we do shapes the world around us. It turns out nothing is more practical and more central than worldview. We can think of our worldview like the roots of a tree, underground and hidden from sight. The trunk represents our values. The branches are behaviors and actions. Our behaviors and actions, in turn, shape our lives and the world around us. This is the fruit. Sadly, the world around us is filled with bitter fruit. This is unacceptable. As Christians, we are called to give ourselves to change the world for the better. But in order to change the fruit, we have to change the root. Genuine social transformation requires a change of culture, a change of worldview. And this change must start with us. The Bible speaks of this in many ways. We are admonished to think with the mind of Christ, to take captive every thought, to make it obedient to Christ, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. In short, we are to think and act differently, not according to the beliefs, values, and norms of our surrounding culture, but according to reality as presented in God's word and the culture of God's kingdom. This worldview transformation doesn't happen automatically. It must be intentional, and it takes time, often years. This is because we are profoundly shaped by our surrounding culture, yet we are not imprisoned within it, nor are we defined by it. God has given us all we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. He has given us His Word, His Holy Spirit, and the Spirit of Truth who guides us into all truth, and brothers and sisters in Christ to walk and learn with us. But we must decide to take the first step. In order to transform the world, we have to be transformed ourselves. And this begins at the level of worldview. I like simple, don't you? Everybody pretty simple in here, right? We're all simple people. I like it simple because it helps me understand how I can relate to other people and explain to other people truth. And I can put it in such a way that we can both walk away and say, I get it. I want you to get 
what biblical worldview is and have a clear understanding of the importance of it. Here's the reality. Every worldview, Christian or non-Christian, asks four questions. The origin of mankind or the origin of man, where did I come from? The nature of man, what went wrong? The redemption of man, how do we fix it? And the responsibility of man, how should I live? And it doesn't matter if you're Christian or non-Christian, these are the four questions that everybody asks. Now, they might be a little bit different for some people, but basically, in a nutshell, that's it. These are the four pillars that create the framework for a worldview. It is a, a vital importance to all of us to have a clear understanding on how to answer these questions. As believers, we have a responsibility to answer these questions according to the Bible. And by doing so, we are creating a culture that is uh, uh, centered around a biblical worldview. But in order to do that, and I hope you're still with me, there are two things that must happen in order to have a biblical worldview and help others have a biblical worldview. And those two things are found in Proverbs chapter 3, uh, actually Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5. Now, this passage of scripture has been memorized by so many people. It's probably one of the most popular passages of scripture in the Bible outside of John 3.16 and Psalms 23. Some of you know exactly where I'm going with this because you know this passage of scripture. But let me read it to you. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. Now, very, very simple. But I believe the two things that are a necessity to have a biblical worldview are found in this verse. First, you have to trust God at his word in order to have a biblical worldview. A biblical worldview requires you to completely trust God. And that's why scripture says, with all of your heart. You are to trust God. That means there's no room for doubt. That is an unwavering position. Now watch, the heart represents complete confidence in God. You can take him at his word and trust the fullness of what he said, or you can step back and go, I don't know if I can trust with all of my heart. So here's the thing. The Hebrew text for this word trust is actually secure. You are secure in what you believe God is able to do. David explained it this way. Where I, when I am afraid, I will trust in thee. So what David is saying is this. I trust in God in, in, in such a way that my security, my, my security financially, mentally, emotionally, in my marriage, my children, everything I know is in God. And that is a biblical worldview. Trust. When the Bible uses the term heart, it usually indicates the control center of life. That's what we understand when it comes to the word heart when it comes to Christians. That's why scripture references the heart as a necessity to trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. This is what the Bible says in Romans 10.10. You know this verse probably. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It is a necessity to trust God, but it has to be with all of your heart. Now watch this. And I love how simple this is. The heart is your complete commitment to God. Now with that in mind, we remember that scripture also tells us because we love God with all our heart, 
We're going to serve him. Remember the passage of scripture, we're commanded to love God with all your heart. And, and when we see that word all, we understand that means that the command center of who I am recognizes that God is the authority and I trust him for my security. And with all of my heart, I accept that. There is no room for doubt. That is complete commitment to understand that God is not in control of all things. He has control of all things. And not only that, he's controlling you in the way you think, if you allow him, and your steps you take because you're trusting him. But you have to give that to him. Now watch. It's very important. With that in mind, you have to ask yourself this question. Do I believe that God's word, the Bible, is inerrant and infallible? In other words, do you believe that God's word has no errors? It is perfect. You have to ask yourself this question. Do I believe that God's word is inspired and preserved? What does inspired mean? That means that you believe that God is inspired man to write the words that we have in our Bible today. And he preserved it. He kept it safe he kept it reliable for us today as English-speaking people to open the book, read it, and believe it. Do you believe that? Do you believe it? So, well, man wrote the Bible. Yes, but we serve an almighty God that can use man to preserve his word because he's God. And God can do as he pleases. And he's very intentional. I'm going to do this. I'm going to swap over to this mic. Okay? You all with me? We got a little short in our mic, and uh, we took the chance, or at least I did, to say, hey, it should be okay, but I don't think it's going to be okay, as you can tell. <laughs> so, in order to have a biblical worldview, you have to trust God at His word. That requires you to trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean, lean not unto your own understanding. Now, watch this. If you believe that God's word is inerrant and infallible, the perfect word of God, I feel like this mic is going in and out on me too, then you have to step back and say, okay, if I can trust God in his word, then I can trust God with everything in my life and know that he will lead me and guide me and direct me and help me because I am looking at life through the lenses of his word and I know it to be true. Now, here's the thing. You can't cherry pick God's word. Is everybody with me? You can't say, I like this, but I don't like this. I'll take this, but I will reject this. It doesn't work that way. It's all or none. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. When I went to the eye doctor at Pearl Vision, <laughs> they put this large piece of equipment in front of my little face, because it back then was a little face, and they would flip back and forth. Do you like this or this? This or this? Y'all know how it is if you went to an eye doctor. I think in life what we've done as believers is we look at Scripture going, do I like this or this? Will I accept this or this? And then we settle in on what we want or what we think is right, and then we put those glasses on, and that's how we look at life. We, we will say, I don't like the idea that God created everything as we know it in six literal days. No, I think it's figurative. I like this. I don't like the idea that the Bible says that Jonah was swallowed by a whale. I don't believe that. I like this idea. And see, it doesn't work that way. In order to have a biblical worldview, 
You have to trust God at his word. And in order to do that, we trust the Lord with all our hearts, every bit of who we are from that command center. And that is what controls everything in our life from that point on. Because we have the full understanding that his word is an errant and perfect word of God. Now, how about this? And by the way, if you don't agree with that, then you probably have a heart issue. Number two, you ready? You have to place God's knowledge above your own. That seems so simple, doesn't it? But I don't know if we fully understand that. Look at the second part of the verse, Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5, and lean not unto your own understanding. Your understanding should never dispute the authority of God's word. Proverbs 3, 5, the second part of it says, and lean not unto your own understanding. Understand the fullness of that. God is not saying that you shouldn't be able to think for yourself. God is not saying that higher learning is not important. It is. But God is saying this, and this is very important for you to get. If you lean more into your understanding than his understanding, then you have failed. If your way and your knowledge outweighs his way and his knowledge, then that is contrary to Scripture. Lean not unto your own understanding. There has to be a clarity of understanding that God's ways are not our ways, according to Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 8. And His thoughts are not our thoughts. So we may not fully grasp what God is doing or how God does things, but we have to trust Him even if we can't figure it out. Or maybe our dot ideas or the PhD that somebody might have or the university that you went may say something distinctly different or contrary to God's word. His knowledge is above our knowledge. And in order to have a biblical worldview, you have to accept that. If you're leaning more into your understanding or what you think, then God is saying to you there is a problem. And that problem is going to hinder you from fully seeing life the way it was meant to be seen. Just because you can't fully understand God's way of doing things doesn't mean that you should dispute it. Let me, let me explain. We cannot mix secular and sacred together. A Christian's worldview trying to mix with a non-Christian worldview is unstable. Let me go a little further, give you some scripture. According to James chapter 1 and verse 8, the Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. In other words, if you have this idea that, that creation works in conjunction with evolution, you are unstable. That is not going to work according to what God says. Creation never complements never evolution, and evolution never works in conjunction with creation. We were fearfully and wonderfully made by God. He is the creator God. We see in Scripture that God's understanding, God's knowledge, and God's way of things, doing things is distinctly different than ours. Let me get more personal, okay? Dr. D'Souza, somebody that you probably never met, did the surgery on Logan two years ago, opened him up, my nephew, looked inside his chest and realized the cancer was just too far gone. It's connected to his, his lungs, it's wrapped around his, his, his heart, it's, 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 it's his arteries, it's, it's, it's just too far gone. So they close him up. Two years later, there's a successful surgery. All of the cancer is removed, he's cancer free. Come to find out 
that one of the individuals that worked with this doctor, Dr. Souza, told him that Logan was cancer free. And he said, what? He said, yeah, you remember the kid, Logan, that you did the surgery on two years ago? He said, yes. And by the way, Dr. Souza is not a Christian, so keep that in mind. And so this man says, yeah, he's cancer free. And he turned and looked at the man and he says, if that boy is cancer free, then that is nothing less than a miracle because it would have been impossible to make that happen. You know why? Because his understanding and God's understanding is distinctly different. So the next time you step back and say, I just don't know if I can trust God in what he says, realize that it's not about what you think. It's about what he says and what he does. And we have to trust that with all of our hearts and lean not unto our own understanding. There is a passage of scripture found in Job, Job 38. Job is probably one in one of the most disturbing books of the Bible. It's the oldest book of the Bible, but the story is just, ah, oh, I can't stand it. In some, day, in some ways, I love it, but it's confusing. Because why would God allow Satan to persecute one of his children? But he did. And now, calm down if you're thinking, what kind of God does that? Listen, there's been billions and billions and billions of people that have existed throughout the human history. This is the only man that's ever went through this that we're aware of, okay? If God, if there was somebody else, I'm pretty, pretty confident that God would have revealed that in his word. There's a reason why this man went through what he went through, because he was chosen and he was able. So calm down. You're not chosen and you're probably not able to do what this man did. But go back to the story. Job chapter 38. Job has gotten to a point where he is frustrated because he's lost everything. He's covered with boils. He lost his family outside of his wife, which pff, that one's tough on its own. She's just bickering and complaining that he has not even killed himself yet because of all the circumstances he's dealing with. So obviously Satan knew what he was doing when he left her. <laughs> he was probably, I'm sure the imps of hell were like, hey Satan, how about her? Oh no, no, she needs to stay. I got plenty of plans for her. And so this is his life. And he finally gets in chapter 38 to the point where I can't deal with this anymore. I would rather be dead. And so at that moment, God tutors Job. This is amazing. If you haven't read this passage of scripture, you need to sit down and read it because it'll blow your mind. Because Job was tutored by God. Job sits him down. And he says in chapter 38, in the chapter 38, he, he, he opens up, and then the Lord answered Job, in, in verse 1, out of a whirlwind. That's intimidating in itself, right? Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Now watch this. Gird up thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee, and answer thou me. Now watch. God is looking at Job and saying this. Who are you? to counsel me with your knowledge. I want you to gird up your loins and be a man, which means this. If you're about to go in war at this period of time, you would gird up your loins. That means you would take your garments, shove them in your belt, and be ready to run into battle. And he's saying, if you're man enough to approach me with questions, I'm going to give you some right back at you. Man up and be ready. And then 
chapter 38, wow, chapter 39, chapter 40, and all the way up to 42, God lays it hard on Job with question after question after question after question. And let me illustrate some of these questions by reading them. This is what the Bible says in Job chapter 38, verse 1 through 5. Let's skip down to verse 3. He said, Gird up thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee, and answer thou me. Verse 4, Where was thou when I laid the foundation of the earth? Declare, if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest? Or who hath stretched the line upon it? In other words, when I measured up and measured out everything that we know of today, where were you? And then he begins to explain a lot more. And then he asks the question after he explains. He explains how he takes care of the fowl of the air and every beast of the field. He explains how he knows the hearts of men and women and children. He explains how he created the stars in the heaven and the moon and the earth itself. And then he asks the question, where were you? At one point, you almost sense a little bit of sarcasm from God in chapter 40 because he stops and he says, how old are you? Oh, that's right. You're not even old enough to be there when I did this. So, how can you speak into this when you weren't there? How can you give wisdom and knowledge to me when you have no idea what you're talking about? By chapter 40, Job says, Oh God, I cover my mouth with my hand. I know not what I say. I am clueless. Clueless. By the end of the tutoring, if we fast forward to chapter 42, Job literally looks at God and acknowledges that he was wrong for proposing questionings against God. And he said, you are the all-knowing. You are the one that has knowledge. And let me make this very clear. Who are you and who am I to question our knowledge over the knowledge of God? Do you realize when the Bible speaks of lean not unto your own understanding that he's declaring to you that your understanding has to measure up to his standard. And if it doesn't, then you must discontinue it from your way of thinking. You and me have a responsibility, whether we understand it or not, to first trust God at his word. We must understand that you and me have to place God's knowledge above our own knowledge, and that includes the knowledge that we received at the university and the professors that have spoken to our minds and our lives. We have to step back and realize that God's ways are not our ways. His ways are distinctly different, and his knowledge is above ours. And if you can accept that, if you can embrace that, then you can have biblical worldview. But until then, it will never work for you. And I'll tell you this, it's not going to work what verse 6 says either. The very next verse says, In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Now watch this. In order for me to acknowledge God in all my ways, that means I need his approval. But I don't want his approval unless I trust in the Lord with all my heart and lay not into my own understanding. So because I trust in God with all my heart and I'm leaning not into my own understanding, I am now able to approach God with every quest I have and get his acknowledgement of that so I know what direction I need to take with my life. It is part of having a biblical worldview. The direction of your marriage, the direction of your, your kids and what, they, what you do with them and how you train them and your grandkids and so on and so forth is all determined by your biblical worldview. 
And when you get a biblical worldview, you acknowledge God, and because of that, He is able to direct thy paths. Verse 7 says, Be not wise in thine own eyes, fear the Lord, and depart from evil. I believe it is an evil thing for a believer to deny the knowledge of God and replace it with self-knowledge. Be not wise in thy own eyes. We are in a serious situation in America. I can't speak for other countries because I don't live in another country. I actually have never left the United States in my life. I know where we're at in the condition of this country. And for believers, we are struggling. We're struggling because we are not living life with a biblical worldview. Quit questioning God's word. Who are you? Who am I? You say, well, I just can't grasp it. Maybe you weren't meant to grasp the whole truth of God's word. You are meant to accept the fact that he is Jesus, is the way, the truth, and the life. And over time, as you grow in your faith, things will become more clear. But if we could understand the Bible and the wholeness of it, we would be gods ourselves. And guess what? We'll never be at that point in our lives here on earth. So where are you? Do you have a biblical worldview? Do you teach a biblical worldview? Do you encourage people to understand that you need to look at life through the eyes, or excuse me, the lenses of God's word? When you have a biblical worldview, you give people direction and clarity and hope. I just did a funeral uh, a week or so ago. There was very few people at that funeral that knew Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They had no direction in life. They were desperate for answers. But at that moment, in the face of death, they were looking at the world through the eyes of a humanistic point of view. But when I gave truth and explained there is a hope of heaven and you can have a new life in Jesus Christ and this world is not our home, everything began to change for those that were listening because now they're beginning to see things differently. Instead of black and white, it became color. They begin to realize that our life doesn't end in the grave. A cemetery isn't our eternal home. There is life after death. And the decisions we make here on earth with a biblical worldview will determine how our lives look and the journey we take. And in the end, our eternal destination is determined by our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, which means we lean completely and accept all of the truth of God's word in its fullness in order to have eternal life with our whole hearts. This may seem elementary to some. It may seem basic. But the reality is, do we believe it? The reality is, let me say it this way, do you accept it? Where are you when it comes to a biblical worldview? So I'm going to ask you to do this. I'm going to ask you to examine yourself for just a minute. I'm going to ask you to dig deep and, and, and really search your heart for a minute.